Well, good morning, Heights family. It's good to see everybody here. Uh, I I don't usually point out individuals, but we are a full family today because Charlie and Esther Perkins are are here. Y'all wave back there. I know so many of y'all don't know them. Charlie was on building committees for this church for buildings that don't even exist anymore. That, that, that's how far back Charlie and Esther go, long time, decades and decades ago, and they live away now, a, a distance that they can't get here, but they're here today, and I know a lot of you would like to know, I didn't know they were here, why didn't somebody say something? Well, well, there they are, so you go give them a hug after the service. Uh, boy, when I see Charlie and Esther, it's just such a reminder of what a, what a wonderful church we have here at the Heights, don't we? Uh, you know, folks, when I, when I think about what a blessing it is to be a pastor here, there, there, there's a variety of things that come to my mind. I think about the missions that you do, the evangelism that you do, the commitment to God's word that you have. So I think about some of these big things, you know, that the church is called to be and do. But I also think about things like character quality. The, the, the character of, of this church, what it's like, how it relates with its culture. And, you know, as we come out of last week where we had two police officers, two black people up here, and we were looking at really a very tense issue, a very tense subject of, of racism. Man, that's probably in a place that I am maybe most proud to be a, a, a member, to be a part of a church like this. And whenever I think about that, there, there's a very specific story that comes to my mind that, that some of you, the Perkins will certainly, Perkinsons will certainly remember this. In, in 2001, 15 years ago, uh, the pastor of this church, Terry Harper, resigned. He, he resigned to move on and take a, a new ministry in West Virginia. And uh, as he went to do that, of course, this church pulled together a search committee. They elected a search committee and elected a chairman of that search committee. In 2001, the, the person that they elected to be the chair of that committee was a black man. Now, why I find that interesting is while the church was seeking to to purposely be, as as I understand Terry's ministry, was purposely seeking to be diversified, uh, that was at a beginning. I mean, there there was black people in the church. I don't think you'd even put a percentage on it. You would just say there was, there was blacks in the, in the church. And, and Jerry was a black man. Here, here is a predominantly white church that elected a black man to be the chairman of a search committee. Now, why I think that committee is so interesting is this. The chairman of the search committee is the face of the church before the world. It's, it's the face of the church as they go to find and, and pick a new pastor. And that, that was 15 years ago. I mean, to me, a story like that gives you a little bit of the DNA of this church. And you might wonder, well, I wonder why they elected a black man. I'll tell you exactly why they did. Because Jerry was a godly, wise Christian leader in this church. Why wouldn't they? And his skin color meant nothing to anybody there in the church. Isn't that exciting to, to think of what was, was going on even back then? And, and remember, the church isn't a building. <laughs> the, the church is not this vague mass. It's people. It, it, it's all of us, and it's, it's what we do. And I think that is such a great picture as we continue to move forward. And, you know, our goal here is, is not just to check off a box. We're not racist. 
And we want, we want to go further than that. We want to be more than that. We, as we looked at Romans 12 last week, we want to be leaders in harmony and peace and love. And that means being more than just not being something. But uh, you guys are awesome as a church, and I'm, I'm grateful for you. We are continuing today, or I say continuing, we're starting uh, a brand new series for the fall called Can I? As you just saw on the video, we're uh, going to be looking at some interesting topics from sexuality to carrying a gun to entertainment to drinking. And, and believe it or not, while we look at issues like that and we want to know wh- what's the yes or what's the no, actually our goal in this is not as much the yes or the no, but how we live out that yes or no together. Because you see, none of us is making decisions, none of us is making biblical decisions in a vacuum. My decisions, how I interpret scripture, affects people around me. So whenever I come to a belief that this is what I can or cannot do, Then I've got to realize, I've got to figure out, how does that affect all of us? Now us, that's a, that's a tricky word, isn't it? I think in the, in the United States. And us is kind of the center of the first question that we're going to look at today. And that is, can I do my own spiritual thing? Can I do my own spiritual thing? Can I follow God in my own way, my own design? Or, or do I always got to be thinking about us. You know, folks, here in the United States, and we have a special nation, don't we? With all of its problems, it's a, it's a special and a unique place. And there's a variety of things that make it that. But I think one of those things is the individualism of the United States. I mean, our culture promotes and celebrates the individual maybe more than any other culture in human history. I mean, the individual really has a a unique and a special opportunity to, I think, be creative, uh, to to be successful, uh, to to go in new directions. Uh, The the individual has a chance to, to be more than what they were born into, to be more than the group. And I think because of what we allow for the individual, I think that's a big part of what has made America uh, one of the most innovative, one of the most prosperous, and, and one of the most successful nations there is. Having said that, cannot good things, cannot things that make us good also, if we're not careful, become things that destroy us? You know, juxtaposed or or opposite of individualism would be what? Maybe I would say I would add a word to individualism because they do go together. A capitalistic individualism. Opposite of that would be something like communism. Now, the reason I say communism is the the opposite of individualism is because communism says that the most important thing is the whole. And communism is very comfortable with the individual suffering, losing, doing without for the well-being of the whole. Now, obviously, in America, we we attach some history and some politics to the word communism. And boy, we see in that a great evil. But actually, there are... This is going to sound crazy. Don't, Don't run me out of here. There are some good things in communism. Do you realize the problem is not isms? Now, now some isms are designed where there's nothing good. But but the problem is not isms, folks. The problem is when isms are touched by sin. 
And all isms are touched by sin because all isms are managed by people. It's people who mess up what is a lot of time in an ism was just a good idea, a thought about how we could live together in this world. And, and what is true for communism where, where maybe sin carried that in a really dangerous way? Guess what? It, it, it does that to individualism too. I think now we've had a couple of centuries to see individualism evolve to, to maybe a place where, and, and this is in my opinion, where we're coming to as Americans, where, where we are comfortable with the whole suffering, the whole doing without for the well-being of the individual. Let, let me give you an example of this, and there is absolutely nothing unique about this, this, in this example. There, there's nothing special about this story. This story is being played out in thousands of ways every day, all day, for decades now in the United States. Uh, it, it's a story that happened at West Point a couple of weeks ago. You're probably surprised I have stories about West Point now uh, and I'm following their football team. Uh, but three weeks ago, West Point won a football game and if you follow West Point football, you know that's a pretty special thing to win a single game. And, uh, and they're 3-0, and by the way, as of last night. But uh, they, they won this game and they beat a team that, that, that was, a, I mean, I think it was considered a bit of an upset. Well, you know how football players are after a big win. I mean, they, they go into the locker room, they're hooping and hollering and everybody's cheering. And the coach comes in and he says, men, let's take a knee and give thanks to God. For what he enabled today. Now, I don't know about you. That gets me pretty excited. Doesn't it? And it was exciting for. I don't, I don't know how many people in the locker room. There are over a hundred. It's exciting for all of them. Except one. One was offended. By being asked to pray. And so now that moment. Is under investigation. Anybody in here. Wondering how that investigation. Is going to end up. I mean, I, I don't doubt one bit how that's going to come out and how that's going to play out. Because like I said, there's nothing unique about this story. It's being played out over and over and over. And so what's going to happen is a hundred or plus people are going to lose something so that the one can gain the opportunity to, to not be offended. And that makes sense to us. Now, when I say us, I mean, not not us sitting here in church, right? I, I, we want to pray. What, what's wrong with America? But, but folks, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Take out the word prayer. Take out something that looks Christian to us. And, and make it about something else. And we're probably going right along with the flow of that kind of decision making. We are all a part of this very staunch individualism in America. Now, my message today is not about the United States, not about prayer, it's not about West Point football. What, what my message is about, though, folks, is how we carry American values into our Christian faith. Now, what should be happening, and by the way, I do believe happens a lot in my life, in your life, is I carry my Christian values into my American way of living. That's what we're trying to do, right? But we also have to recognize the reality that street runs both ways. I'm really trying to carry my Christianity into how I live as American. But sometimes I'm carrying American life into my Christianity. And we carry a staunch individualism 
into our faith. Now, that's not all bad. As a matter of fact, in Southern Baptist life, we really celebrate the individual. Now, I don't get a lot into denominationalism. If you've been here any amount of time, you know you hardly ever hear the mention of a denomination. Now, we are Southern Baptist, and I am. We are, I think, proud to be that, but that's not the banner we carry. We, we can't carry the banner of Christ, amen? But, but a couple of things that are very unique to Southern Baptist theology, doctrine comes right out of individualism. Those those two things are the autonomy of the local church and the priesthood of the believer. Now, the autonomy of the local church simply means all of our decisions, who and what we are, what we do, is decided right here. There's no outside organization. There's no individual that is telling us what we are, what we do, what we believe, what we don't believe. That's all decided in here. And where that's different, I know a lot of you come maybe out of a Methodist, a Presbyterian, a a Catholic background, where there's more of this hierarchical structure. And by the way, I'm not saying that's wrong. I don't think Southern Baptists are saying that's wrong. We've just chosen a different way to govern. But we don't have this hierarchy. There's not a synod that is telling us what to do. There's not an, a, a bishop that, that is telling us what to do. There, there's no hierarchy where in those other things, the local church is often, it's kind of that the very last piece of the hierarchy. There's all these things outside of us. Well, that, that's an air of individualism that says our individual church can decide. And we certainly in a denominational fashion cooperate and work with other Southern Baptist churches for, for missions and seminaries and things like that. But as far as who and what we are, that's decided right here at the, at the local, the individual level. And that individual mentality goes from the church to the individual. Because we have a, a somewhat of a unique doctrine in our faith called the priesthood of the believer, which says that you under the inspiration of the Spirit, using the Word of God, using the Bible, you can build your own faith system. You can build your own beliefs. You do not have to believe like me to be a, good, a member in good standing in this church. You, you don't have to believe like a, a group of leaders in this church decided that you have to believe. That's why when you join this church, there's no doctrinal statement to sign. There's no creeds to sign. Not saying those things are bad or wrong. We just believe that the, the individual has that, that right and responsibility to build their own belief system. Now that doesn't mean that, that here at the Heights or, or even in other Southern Baptist churches, we don't have some pretty common beliefs that we hold on to. Like, like we all pretty much believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, don't we? A good solid yes there would be very comforting. Yes? Yeah. We, we believe in the deity of Christ. We, we believe in the authority and the inerrancy of the scriptures. We believe in salvation by faith alone, by grace alone, in Jesus alone. Hey, we believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe in his visible return to this earth one day, don't we? See, we've got common beliefs that we tend to hold to. But there's a lot of freedom in, in a lot of other things. You don't have to believe exactly like us. Now, if you don't believe those things, you probably would not be comfortable here for very long. And if you don't believe a lot of those common beliefs, I can tell you this, you ain't going to teach in this church. I, I, I said you could be a member in good standing. I didn't say you could teach no matter what you believe. No, we have a responsibility there to be sure what we're teaching, right? Right? 
But there is that freedom. So see, there, that individualism, we're, we're not talking bad about individualism today. Man, that's, that's in our faith. It's in America and it's in the Christian faith. But as it maybe contends to run under sometimes a sinful control, what happens is that that individualism maybe can arrive at a place where, you know what, I don't need the church. I I don't need to be here to follow Christ. I don't need to be here to know what to believe. I don't need you telling me what I can and cannot do. I I don't need the church. You know, something else that that goes with individualism is, is consumerism, right? Yeah, see, these are, all, these are all cousins and family together. Capitalism, consumerism, individualism. Those things all work together. And consumerism says me, the individual, I, I consume and I get to decide what I consume. I, I get to decide the brand. I get to decide the, the store. And I do that as long as I like it. As, as long as it's meeting my needs. Well, we, we carry that into the way we look at the church, don't we? I, I look at the church and I say, well, how is this church meeting my needs? How is this church serving me? And as long as it's meeting my needs, as long as it's serving me, then I'll come shop here. And by the way, nothing wrong with that. But that, that's only part of it. How this place is serving me is only part of the question. You see, there's, a, there's another question, and that is, how am I serving this place? See, that's two sides of the same coin. And folks, somehow we have figured out how to have a one-sided coin in America. We, we, we have figured out how to evaluate what this place is for me without ever evaluating what I am for this place. And so something that we see going on all, all the time, you've heard it, I've heard it. You know, I'm not, I'm not coming here anymore. I, I, I'm not coming here. You know what? They didn't visit me. They, they didn't serve me. They didn't meet my need in that situation. And by the way, folks, when we didn't visit, when we didn't serve, when we didn't meet the need in that situation, that's a failure, isn't it? Yeah, that's a failure on our part when we don't do that. But, but what you see today is, is somebody who's saying, hey, you, the whole failed me. And it can come from a person who's never visited, <laughs> never ministered, never served, never helped make this body a faithful place. Now you say, well, now, now pastor, are you, are, you, are you saying that the only people that should be served are those that serve? Absolutely not. That, that is absolutely not what I'm saying. And if I was saying that, I would be entirely wrong. This is not a, hey, you come in and do your part. And if we put a good stamp of approval on you, then, then we'll do our part when, when you have a need. No, the, the point in saying this is not to, to develop that kind of relationship, but it is to say that in America, it actually makes sense that, that I can look at you and say, what are you doing for me with zero thought of my responsibility to you? And it makes all the sense in the world. No, nobody even questions that today because we consume the church as an individual and think of, of nothing of what we are as a part of the body. Well, that's, that's not okay, is it? That, that's not going to work, is it? I look at you. You serve me. But I have no responsibility here. Now, now folks, I, I don't think what God is saying here is, is that you're, you're only now to be one directional and that's what you give. But, but I think what maybe God is saying to us is, hey, what if we were to all focus not on what we get, 
but on what we give. And watch this. When we are all focused on what we give, guess what's going to happen? Everybody's going to get. But if you flip give and get around, if we're all focused on what we get, guess what's going to happen? Lots of people are not going to get. And that's why when you walk through the New Testament, you don't find a single verse that tells me, the individual, how to evaluate whether the church is doing its part or not. But you'll find hundreds of verses that tell me the role I am to play in the church and how I'm to serve in the church. So let's answer this, this question. And I won't necessarily answer every question this definitive, but, but I am today, okay? So can I do my own spiritual thing? Absolutely not. There is no design, there's no recipe, there's no formula for following and walking with Christ that I do that entirely by myself with no need of you. We absolutely need the church to grow and function as a believer. Life in Christ is life in the church. What what does God call all of us? He calls us the body of Christ, right? Well, how can I be in Christ but disconnected or loosely connected from the body? That's not going to work. Now, are, are, are we saying, okay, if you want to pray, if you want to worship, if, if you want to come into a relationship with Christ, you've got to be in a church building when that happens. You've got to be with me when that happens. No, of course not. Wonderfully No. Boy, folks, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us means that we always have access to God. Access to talk with Him. Access to relate with Him. Access to know His mind, His heart, to know His will. I don't need a priest or a building for that. But you don't extrapolate that out to then mean I don't need the church at all. I can get everything I want, know everything I want by myself. I I don't need the church. No, folks, the church is not a a luxury. The the, the church is not a help if you need that kind of thing. No, God made the church to be vitally connected to who you are so you can be a, a genuine, faithful, accurate follower of Christ. Let me give you a couple of ideas of why the church is so important, okay? For you and I to come to a correct understanding of the Scripture, we need the church. Now, that's kind of an interesting one to mention first because studying the Bible can be a very individual thing, can it? As a matter of fact, I hope, I pray, you are studying the Scripture a lot by yourself. As a matter of fact, if you're not reading it alone, if you're not studying it alone, if you're not memorizing it alone, there's a good chance that when we gather as a whole and we look at God's Word, you're going to find it kind of boring. May not really have developed much of a a taste for it. Man, the study of God's Word is a very individual activity. But I didn't say studying and reading by yourself. I said interpreting and coming to accurate understanding by yourself. We need, all of us need each other. Doesn't matter how learned, how educated you are, we all, you all still need each other. Here's, here's why. Because not a single person in this room approaches the scripture with a clean slate. 
We approach the scripture with preconceived ideas, with beliefs that we've already formed. And it doesn't mean even that your beliefs are bad, but they didn't, that you didn't let the scripture speak to you. you. You already had them back there as you approached the scripture. Sometimes we approach the scripture with impure motives. And, and by impure, I don't mean evil, rotten, horrible. I just mean sometimes I already know where I want this to go, so I'm looking for the verses that are going to help me get there. Well, that's, that's not letting the Scripture speak. So, sometimes we approach it and we don't have the skill, maybe in a particular style of Scripture, because there's more than one genre in this book. And, and, and so maybe we don't know quite how to approach that one versus a, another style in Scripture. And so what ends up happening, and I'm being repetitive here, is we're telling the Scripture what it's saying instead of letting the Scripture tell us what it says. You know, one of, the, one of the topics that we're going to look at in this series, I know it'll be very exciting, create some interesting discussion, we're going to look at drinking. And I'm, I'm pretty sure our family here, I don't know what percentages, we can, we can break up into two categories, and there is a category that is pretty sure that to drink means you are entirely wrong, going straight to hell, you don't pass go, nothing, boom, you're gone. And, and then there's another part of our family who say, no, that's absolutely fine in all situations, all, all scenarios. And I would say there's a pretty decent chance that my message that day won't change either group's mind. Right? Boy, we're being quiet right now, aren't we? Shh. I wonder which group he thinks I'm in. But see, what happens is I already do know what group I'm in. And so when I go to God's Word, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of lean toward those verses that I believe, you know, if you interpret them this way, if you look at them to say this, they promote what I already believe. And maybe there's some verses that really pretty profoundly don't promote what I believe, so guess what I do with those? I just don't ever look at them again. I just ignore them. So you see, you see what's happening? I'm telling the Scripture what it's saying instead of letting the Scripture tell me. And you know, here's the strange thing. You can actually land on a biblically right answer and get there the wrong way. And that's important because I don't want to approach every issue the wrong way. We can land on the right answer, but that's just because somewhere back there between parents and church and something we heard, maybe we actually heard the right answer and we carried that right answer into our study instead of letting the study tell me what God's word said. Does that make sense? But we'll see when we come here, see if all my study is by myself, then there's nothing to challenge my impure motives. There's nothing to challenge my preconceived ideas. But when we come together, we got a chance to kind of, you know, bang ideas off of each other. Proverbs says iron sharpens iron. And we get together and we kind of bang these ideas off. And how did you get to that? And well, you know what? Maybe I was kind of carrying something into the reading there. And, and okay, now what's, how do you interpret that kind? And by being together, we land on a little more accurate understanding of what God's Word says. And that should mean everything to us, right? To get to what God's Word actually says and not just a belief system that I've already developed. So we need the church for that. We also need the church to be obedient. We, we need each other to be obedient because God in the New Testament has given you, He's given me, a lot of y'all have heard me preach on this several times, He's given us over 30 commands of what we're to do for one another. 
When you see that, those two words in the New Testament, one another, that's not just referring to what we do for one another as a part of humanity. One another is a reference to the church, to the body of believers. And so when you see those, love one another, forgive one another, serve one another, help one another. If I'm not connected to a body, or I'm loosely connected to a body, then I don't have a group of people to, in a very disciplined, consistent fashion, work all these commands. And if I'm not working them, then I'm negligent with them. If I'm not working them, then only ultimately I'm disobedient to them. And, and so what happens for a lot of believers is we wake up and before we even put a foot on the floor, we're disobedient to some 30 plus commands in scripture. That seems like a lot, doesn't it? Before I do anything else today, I'm living in disobedience. Well, that can't work out okay. We need each other to exercise and to practice the way God wants people to relate. Because a lot of these commands of what we do for one another, He does want us to carry out into the world. And so we have each other to work those things out. Folks, look how, look how the Scripture describes, defines you and me as individuals coming to Christ, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, for just as the body, there's one body here, right? Just one body. For just as the body is one and has many members, I got lots of parts, inside parts, outside parts, parts you see, parts you don't see, a lot of parts here, but, but one body. Well, the church is the same way. And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Now, when God said, let's see, how do I get them to understand what they're to mean to one another? How do I get them to understand the connectedness that they're supposed to? Ah, how about the human body? I mean, we get that there's one body standing here, but there's all these parts. And I like all my parts. I want to keep every one of them. I don't want to lose any parts. Now, let's say I sever a thumb. And by the way, if you read all of 1 Corinthians 12, it will talk about the importance of each and every member of the, an eyeball, an ear. What's an eyeball to you? What, what's a thumb to you? You know, if, if my thumb gets severed from my body, uh, you know what? The body will go on, won't it? It'll hurt. It, it can't do everything it was designed to do. It can't do what it could have done. And what's the state of the thumb? Oh, oh man, the thumb's dead now. You know, you can be dead and make a lot of money. You can be dead and be mostly happy. You can be dead and oh, I know what I believe. You see, the illustration being used is our value, our worth, our importance, our ability in this world to experience value and worth and importance is connected to the body. If I'm disconnected or loosely connected, there's no way I'm healthy. And the body will go on, but it's, it's not as healthy. You know, it's interesting when you and I decide if we're going to come to church Sunday morning, what are we usually evaluating? I'm evaluating myself. Ah, I'm tired. Oh, gosh, that preacher's boring. I, you know what? I've never actually said that. I think the preacher's awesome. I'll be honest with you. I get up every morning to hear him. Uh, but you know, think about it. I, I'm tired. I've got other stuff to do. Man, I just, I just, you know, need a day off. You see, it's I, I, I. By the way, I get it. Hey, we all get there. We're all going to feel that way. We're all going to make a decision to not come to church one Sunday morning because we feel those ways. You know what's never a part of that evaluation process? 
how the church feels when you don't show up. Now, let's be honest. Okay, let's just go ahead and go with this practically and realistically. Oh, yeah, like the Heights is going to shut down if I don't come to church this morning. No. No, we, we probably won't shut down. No, you, you, you can cut off one of our thumbs. You can nick an ear, bang the knee. We'll be here. We'll be here. But we're not what we could be. And think about, folks, in our American individualistic way of thinking, we say, yeah, 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 right. It's all going on. Do you know what? And by the way, this isn't just an American thing. Do you know what this planet has never seen, planet Earth? We've never seen 100% of the body functioning. So it really doesn't mean anything to us when a piece, a part, is nicked, hurt, injured, missing. Because we've used to just living as a body all cut up and, and pieces missing. And so no wonder we don't evaluate. No wonder we don't ever say, well, if I don't go to morning, you know, you know that, that church is... And I get it. I get it. You see, you think, okay, if I'm sitting here, I'm not, but see, here's part of the problem. We have reduced church to one word, attendance. You see, that's why we maybe don't make this connection with the vital parts of the body and all their... Is we've just reduced to church to, to sitting in a chair. I did it, I did it. You know, I mean, yeah, it's pretty hard to believe we wouldn't have had church today if you weren't sitting in that chair right there. But you know, folks, whether you and I can connect all the dots and get it, that is what God's trying to explain to us, isn't it? Isn't that exactly what he's saying? Let me show you another way. Same teaching, different illustration. This one from the Apostle Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to him, as you the individual comes to Jesus Christ, what's happening? Immediately you yourselves are like living stones. You're being built up in a spiritual house. In the very moment that you, the individual, are coming to Christ, instantly you become a brick for the building. Man, have you ever noticed here at the Heights, we got bricks. When you're walking to your car today, just look down the side of the wall here. Man, we got millions of bricks here at the Heights. But you know, you stop and think about it. Now, you actually would notice if one was missing. Maybe not the first Sunday or the first Wednesday night when you went walking. But you'd, you'd notice it. And you know what? The, the building's not going to fall because a brick is out of place. But you know what happens? The bricks around it. All, all of a sudden, the, 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 that stuff begins to crumble around it. See, when one brick's missing, then, then the ones around it get weaker. And as the ones around it gets weaker, then guess what? Another brick can fall out. And then, a, and then another brick. And then pretty soon, see, see the illustration God's trying to show us here? Yeah, it's pretty hard to think this whole building's based on a brick. It's not based on a brick. But it's based on all those bricks coming together. It, it's not based on a single carpet strand. That's ridiculous. But all those carpet strands coming together, all that electrical conduit coming together, and wow, look what we've got. Yeah, that's what God's pointing to. When, when we all start coming together, look what we've got. We've never seen what we've got because we're so used to broken windows. We're so used to bricks out of place. and Boy, we really have set the standard low for what God's house can be, can't, haven't we? One, one more verse. We've got to take this to the house here. Ah, no pun intended. Um, Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider how to stir up. <laughs> well, God, we do that one real good. I mean, we know how to stir each other up, don't we? When you think of, I wish I could maybe just block out the rest of these lines. When you think of stirring somebody up, what do you think of? 
Is it just me or does your mind automatically kind of run to the negative? We stir each other up to what? To anger. I stir you up to not like them. I stir you up to mistrust them. We, we stir each other up to doubt, to skepticism, to anger. It, it, it's what we do. It's sin in us. And God knows the sin that's in us. So he says, hey, listen, when y'all all get together, I know you want to stir each other up. No, not to the stuff you normally do. Stir each other up to love. Stir each other up to trust, to connect, to be kind, to be forgiving. Motivate, encourage each other toward those kinds of activities. Stir each other up to good works. See, if I'm disconnected from the body, I'm just kind of, I'm really more used, it's more natural to stir people up to, to anger and mistrust. But God says, no, I want you to get in the body and stir each other up to that, not neglecting to meet together. Gosh, I thought that was just a 21st century problem. Apparently, they struggled with that in the first century too. I mean, they struggled with it. They had to say something, right? Hey, this whole, I'm going to hit and miss here. I'm kind of in, I'm kind of out. It's just kind of based on what I feel. It's just kind of based on what I need when I wake up on a Sunday morning. No, 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 no. You, you can't neglect not being here. You, you can't have a, a hit and miss approach. No, there's got to be a total discipline and commitment to your life to be together for the health and strength of the body. It's very difficult to be together unless you're together. Did, did I say that again? Did you, did you get that? It's very difficult to be together... Unless you get up and be together. Folks, do you realize that you and I, as individuals, have a responsibility to be our part in the body. To to be our part in the house. To be together. You know, this idea, us, together, really it's going to, you're going to, and this is why I put today first... Because this idea is going to kind of roll through all these issues. You, you wouldn't think this has to be an idea where we're going to discover, is this right? Is this wrong? Can I do this? Can I do that? But really, folks, the bigger issue is not the answer, but how we live and apply that answer together. Because everything we do affects somebody else. That, that's not just something true in church life. That, that's true, period. Everything, you don't do anything that does not have an impact on somebody else and the scripture knows that so it's not just coming up with an answer of what I can or cannot do but it's understanding how I live that answer with others now one of the things we're going to do is as we go through this series uh, is we're going to have a companion study in life group called how can I in here can I in life group how can I and what we're going to look at in that study is how we build a model of coming to answers with issues together because all we have is a few weeks here a couple of you know four five six we can look at a couple of issues but sooner or later we got to move on to Thanksgiving right I mean, Christmas is coming, the goose is getting fat. I mean, I, mean, I just can't be in a can-I series forever. We're going to have to move on. But your and I's need to find answers on issues does not move on. And so that's what the companion study is going to do. Is It's not as much focused on a this issue or that issue, but a process for coming to answers. It's going to be a great study. I really encourage you. As a matter of fact, let me do this. Let me obey. Give me a chance right here, right now to obey Hebrews 10. And let me stir you up to love 
Love means connecting and relating together. Good deeds, coming to answers, getting God's word together. And I want to encourage everybody to be in life group for four weeks. For four, for four, like, well, shouldn't you say forever and ever until Jesus comes back? Yeah, I should. But I'm just at four Sundays. Just four. Okay? Everybody, I think you got in your bulletin this sheet right here. Pull that out. Everybody in here. You're in a life group. You're not in a life group. Pull, pull one of these out. And uh, if you didn't get one or you didn't get a bulletin on the way in, uh, raise your hand. Our ushers are coming now and they will hand you one of these. Yeah, they're, 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 they're coming. Any, anybody? Raise your hand if you need one of these. We're going to all need one because we're all a couple down here in the front. Brian, a couple right beside you there. Okay, they're coming. I want everybody to fill one out. Even if you're, a matter of fact, probably about 60, 70% of you are already involved in a life group. You already do that. Sunday in, Sunday out. You're, you're a part of a life group. I, I still want you to fill it out. I want everyone to fill one out. Okay, so get your, and start doing that right now. Name, email, you, you list your children there. And then if you're already involved in a class, just check the one that you're involved in. You say, well, if I'm already involved in a class, why am I doing this? To be a good example, number one. And number two, this is your commitment. You're saying, I'll be in class for four weeks. I'll, I'll give you four Sundays, Pastor. If you're not in a class, then you're going to use this sheet right here to, to pick a class. Now, here, here's the beauty of the 945 worship hour. If this is the worship hour you like, you can pick classes either before this hour or after this hour. You've got multiple options there. But pick a class that would go with this worship hour. And you say, well, wait a minute, I, I, you know what, I've never, I've never done this. I've got children, I, I've got a baby, we've got a, a youth. Good news, we got you covered. Whatever you have in your home, we got it covered. And when I say covered, I don't mean we'll babysit your kid for you while you do two hours here. I'm saying we will work with and disciple your kid in the same way that we want to work and be able to disciple with you. See, this is a spiritual principle that's true for children also, isn't it? That they need to be together. So pick a class that you might like to try for just four Sundays. Just four. And if you say, you know what, this, this is too fast for me. I can't pick a class. If you'll look on the back page down at the bottom, it says, I'm not sure which class I want to attend. Please contact me. We'll help you with that. Or, or you can check that. And uh, in a moment, we're going to turn these all in. But we also have a desk right in the center. It's the first desk you hit as you walk out these doors. And, and it's a life group desk set up just for today. And you can go out there and ask them questions about that. But let, let's all fill that out together. Pick a class. Let's get ready all together to make this commitment to four Sundays. Now, I get the question from time to time. I don't see why I have to be an official member of a church. I don't, I don't know why I got to be on a, a membership role somewhere. I don't see the scripture saying that. Well, I, I, I hope you've heard it today. <laughs> you know, let me ask you a question. Do you want your thumb to be an informal member of your body? Do you want your thumb to kind of keep things loose? I just kind of want to be able to come and go as I, as I want. I'm guessing you want of your thumb to be a pretty formal member, uh, to, to be pretty connected. And, and not only a member of a large group, but, but to be a part of a small group. And, and you know what? If you say, you know what? I just don't know if I need that. I don't know if I buy what you're saying. Could I encourage you to do this? Go home this day, this week, and, and look into your Bible and see where God says that to you. Okay? And you don't have to bring an answer back to me. I'm not asking you to debate with me. 
I'm saying just, just know that what you're doing isn't your own thought and opinion. Because I know the scripture also tells me that my heart is desperately sick and it deceives me. It tells me I'm okay when, I, when I'm not. And so I want to be sure when I'm making a decision not to be a part of the church, not to be a member, not to get in a small group, that the scripture is showing me that path, not just my own thoughts and ideas. You know, as I I said a moment ago, folks, everything we do impacts. And to the best of my ability, I want to be a good model, a good example to my friends, to my mate, to my kids, to my parents, to anybody who's watching. And I want to tell you three things you can do. Three is true for every person. Three things you can do that give you the best opportunity to have the most positive, the greatest, the most important impact on anybody in your life. Number one, come to faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life. You can't model a more profound and eternal difference for somebody than to show them you seeking to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Number one, come to faith in Christ. Number two, then do what Jesus did said next. Be baptized, just like I was, and become a part of the church. Actually, that's still number two. Come to faith in Christ. Number two, follow him in baptism and church membership. And then number three, just like Jesus, get in a small group. You say, what? Jesus got in a small group. You know, when you read the Gospels, you, see, you do see Jesus moving and interacting with thousands of people, don't you? Every day, all day. I mean, it's, it's feeding 5,000. It's, it's the hundreds. I mean, he's constantly ministering, teaching, serving, and working with the masses. But what else do you see when you read the Gospels? Do you not see Jesus step out of the masses and really live life, work out life with what? Those 12 apostles. He lives life in that that small group. Is he not modeling something for you and me? But by the way, this has nothing to do with the size of a church. You, You could be going to a church of 150. That's your large group. But where's the smaller group that you really live life with inside that that larger group? In our church, okay, here's 2,500. Where where's the smaller group? Man, can you imagine if we all had covered all three of those things? what we could be in the hands of the Almighty. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're all somewhere on this one, two, and three. Lord, for those that that maybe need to come to faith in Christ for the first time, maybe become a part right now at this moment, they're not exactly connected to a church. Lord, show them, guide them, and, and, and maybe what you want to say to them today. I pray it's your voice they're following and not mine. They don't need my voice, Lord. They... They desperately need yours. And I pray there'd be a sense of your leadership, your voice on what they do today. Lord, would you move and work in a way in our body right now that every one of us would take a step in one, two, and or three. Guide each of us what we do right now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.